our passage. It's from verse 1 that we're going to read. Uh, it's a parable of Christ. Uh, please let's close our, our eyes in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you this morning, knowing that you are the living Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, that you've revealed your word to us, who instructs us, your word that gives us guidance, that is a light unto our path. And Father, thank you so much that we can read your word. Thank you that we can study your word. Thank you that we can find the jewels in your word. And thank you, Father, that I have the privilege of sharing your word with your people. And I pray that you will open up our hearts this morning to receive your word, open up our minds to understand, so that at the end of the day, you may be glorified in and through our lives. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, and this is now, here comes the, the parable. So Jesus already tells us something about this parable that's coming. It is that we should continuously pray and petition God for whatever we need, all right? For whatever we, we are asking from Him, don't give up. Continue. Don't give up. Just go on and on and on. It's fine. So he says in verse 2, there was a certain city, or there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for, or from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust just, uh, judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That will be my focus for this morning, that last part that says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Remember, it's within the context of prayer. It's in the context of a woman, and this is the parable that comes to a judge and continuously bombarding him and says, I need justice, judge. Give me justice. And she would go away, and the judge would not do it. And then she would come back again, and eventually she says, you know what? Or he says, I don't fear God. I don't regard people. But wow, this woman, she's really pestering me. This is now my, my words. So what I'm going to do is let me do what she wants me to do. And then Jesus says to us, how much more would God, who is a just God. Now remember, this was an unjust judge. That doesn't resemble God. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. 
Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus says, How much more will God, who is a just God, avenge his people? Remember, people were going through a very, very tough time. Because Jesus was just speaking about afflictions and the hardships of life and judgment that is to come when he gave this parable. So if somebody is persecuted and says, Lord, please avenge my life. Please, Lord. And continuously do it. What Jesus is saying is because God's saints continuously ask him, he will do what they say because he's just. Remember, they're not asking him for things that are not right. Ne? They're asking him for something that is just because God will only do what is just, what is right. It's actually such a beautiful picture of perseverance in prayer. To persevere, go back to the Lord over and over and over and over again. And we might think, no, wait, that's a waste of time. But Jesus tells us that it's an act of faith. It's an act of trusting God that he will answer my prayer. And that's something that we need to have. And then Jesus comes in that, in verse 8. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And that is to avenge the, the, the how can I say, the afflictions and the hardships and the things that people experience in, in this world, specifically God's people. But then he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What faith is he talking about? Is it salvation faith or saving faith? Or is it the kind of faith where God's people trust him so much that they believe no matter what, he will come to their rescue. He will do what he says he will do. I believe that's the kind of faith that Jesus is speaking about here. When he gets to this earth, will he find people that truly trust that God will answer their prayer and truly know, uh, trust that God will do what he can do and what he promised he would do? But if Jesus returns, will he really find that kind of faith on this earth? Will it be in God's people? Will it be visible on this earth, that kind of faith? I, I want you to hear me. It's not a nagging faith. No? It's got nothing to do with the nagging. It's got to do with the perseverance. Trusting that God is the one who can do what he says he can do. And God will do it. But we need to trust and we need to have faith in what he says. Now, beloved... Look at verse 8. Just again. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Very interesting word, that speedily. Even though we know that God's final judgment takes place when Jesus returns. Yeah? Jesus will be the judge. And that's when he will, will avenge them. He will avenge his people, their suffering, their persecution. He will avenge them. But it will take place, that final judgment will take place when Jesus returns. And we're talking about a lot of time. A long time. 
See, the thing is, with, when it comes to judgment, God's judgment is certain. It will happen. It's not about the timing, but it's about the certainty of it, that it will happen. But then there are times when God avenges speedily. Where judgment comes upon people, where judgment comes upon sinners, or judgment becomes, comes upon the evil, and it happens very sudden. And they're not ready for that. But once God's judgment has come upon them, it's too late. Because that's when God will destroy them. Now Jesus is asking a very important question here in verse 8. Will he find faith on the earth? Will professing believers truly have faith in God? Will they believe that He can do what He says? Will professing believers truly believe the things which are written in Scripture? Will they believe or will they have faith in Jesus Christ? Or will they just profess Him? Say, no, 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 we believe in Jesus. Or will they truly have saving faith? A complete, full trust in the work, the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Will they have faith in Jesus' work of atonement, which is a completed work? Will they have faith in His ability to save sinners? Will they have faith in His ability to provide for His children and to avenge their persecutors? Will professing believers have faith in Jesus' ability to do miracles or God's ability to do miracles? In His ability to do everything that He revealed in His Word? Will they have faith that all the prophecies that is written down in Scripture will all be fulfilled? Will they have faith in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that when they die, they will be raised from the dead on the day when Jesus returns. Will they have faith that God answers prayer? Will they have faith in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection? Will they have faith that God is a just God and that God will just or justly judge? It boils down to will they have faith in God and His ability? Will Jesus find faith when he returns to this, to this earth? Will there be a complete trust in him? Beloved, that's, that's a, a shocking thing to think about. That Jesus himself asks the question when he returns. Remember, Jesus doesn't know when he's going to come back. It's only the Father that knows. And Jesus says, when I come back to this earth, will I really find this kind of perseverant faith in the people who profess to know Jesus Christ? In professing believers, will I find this kind of faith on this earth? Let me tell you, we are already living in a time and in an age where faith is not that visible anymore. And I'm not talking about having faith in faith. I'm talking having faith in Christ and His ability, having faith in God and His ability. 
where people can pour out themselves completely on Him and trust Him completely for everything. Trust God's Word completely for everything. And while I was thinking about this faith that Jesus is speaking about, when He comes to this earth, will He find faith on this earth? My mind was just taken away for a moment to our biblical worldview. You know what a biblical worldview is? That's the, the glasses through which we look at the world. It's actually the glasses through which we look at all aspects of life. Everything around us is through our worldview. And believers are supposed to have a biblical worldview that is guided by Scripture, which means Scripture tells us how to look at the world. And when Scripture tells us something, but let's say uh, the world tells us something else, we agree with Scripture. Because we have faith in God's Word. We have faith in Him. We accept that what He says is true. We don't reinterpret Scripture from a worldly perspective because the world is doing things in a certain way or they believe certain things. What we then do is we take Scripture and we start reinterpreting Scripture in that manner. I was looking at some uh, debates this week about young earth and old earth with regards to creation, whether it's a six-day creation or whether God created over millions and millions of years. I was just looking at some debates, some of them quite long, but very good to watch. And it's very interesting that those who believe in a young earth, which means that God created in six days, comes from Scripture. They start with Scripture. Those who believe that God created through evolutionary process or over millions of years, they start with science, not with Scripture. And that's a decision we'll have to make. And I believe... That, or I think, it's just my personal observation, but I think and I wonder, when Jesus returns to this earth, will he find people who still have a very strong faith in his word? That all of his word is true. That his whole scripture is inerrant. Will he find that kind of faith on this earth? That people will start from Scripture and then look at the world. Instead of looking at the world and looking at science and looking at what, what is happening, and then go come and put it into Scripture. See, beloved, my worldview determines what I believe in answering the following questions. Does God exist or not? My worldview basically determines whether I believe that I am, a, how can I say, a result of a big bang that took place some other time and the evolutionary process, and I am a descendant of apes. My worldview determines what I believe. And if God exists, for example, my worldview will basically determine what is he like. My worldview will determine who am I? Where do I come from? What is my purpose in life? 
Why is there so much suffering and pain in this world? How can I live a joyful, meaningful life in this world with so much evil? My biblical worldview or my worldview will determine whether I believe what or know what is going to happen to me when I die. My worldview will determine whether I believe that history is going somewhere. So listening to a few atheists this week, it says when you die, you die. That's it. That's the end. Nothing after death. Wow. Then why live if there's nothing? Why do things on this earth if there's nothing to live for? Why invest so much time and energy into certain things on this earth if it means nothing? You see, my worldview determines whether I believe there is something after life, after this life. What does the future hold is determined by the way I look at the world. Actually, what I believe. No? A worldview is nothing other than what I believe. Question is, when Jesus returns to this earth, what will people still believe? Will they believe the Bible? Or will they believe a mixture of the Bible and so-called science? Will they have a mixture between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview and a humanistic worldview? When Jesus returns, will he find faith in his word? Will he find faith in him? Will he find faith in his promises? That's the question. And beloved, we shouldn't get caught when Jesus returns not having faith. We don't know when Jesus comes back. But we need to have faith. And I believe it starts with having faith in his word, that his word is true, that his word is inerrant, that his word is the guide book of life. That whatever God has revealed in his word is truth. I don't decide what is right and what is wrong. I don't decide what is true and what is not true. It has already been decided by God. Beloved, everything we believe comes from our worldview. The way we act comes from our worldview. The way we think, the way we reason, it all comes from our worldview. Now, for professing believers, their worldview should be formed by what the Bible teaches. And what happened was I, I, I got to a website, um, gotquestions.org, I've mentioned it a few times. Quite interesting answers on questions that you might have. Remember that it's very easy, gotquestions.org. It's all one word, gotquestions.org. And you just type in what kind of question you have, and it gives you a few answers. And they're quite, quite biblical when it comes to the answers. So what I did was I, I came across the... The question six, let's call it um, 
there are six reasons that, um, how can I say, yeah, six reasons or what that could be why professing believers do not have adequate knowledge of what the Bible says about every aspect of life anymore. Which means people's worldview is not formed by Scripture, and there's possibly six reasons, and I've just taken those six reasons, and I would like to share that with you this morning. Maybe that's why Jesus will not find faith on this earth when he returns. The first reason could be that professing believers do not have, have adequate knowledge of what the Bible says. No? I just said it now. Especially about every aspect of life. Because many believers do not know God's word. And if someone doesn't know God's word, and they don't know what God's word teaches, then how in the world can they answer from a biblical perspective? If somebody doesn't understand the sanctity of life, for example, why is that little baby in the womb of a mother, why is that baby important? Biblically speaking, it's because that child is created in the image of God, no? in his likeness. That's why that child is important. But if I don't know what Scripture says about it, chances are I can become pro-choice. No? My body, my choice. But if I know what Scripture says, there's no way that I can go along with my body, my choice. Brother Mark, you, you can come in. I've spoken about it before. There's only one race, according to Scripture, no? the human race. We've got different ethnicities and we've got different people groups, obviously, but we only have one race. But if you don't know Scripture, if you don't know what the Scripture says about Adam and Eve, that we come from Adam and Eve, and they are the, how can I say, Eve, by the way, is the mother of all the living. And if we know what Scripture says, we will understand that they, the thing we, they call racism today cannot exist because we are all one race. But if I don't know that, I can fall in line with what the world is saying. I can fall in line with what the world is, is doing and pinning people against one another. By the way, this is not even supposed to be mentioned in the church because we understand that we are all one race. We also understand from Scripture why we are many people groups. Why there are so many languages on this earth and it comes from the Tower of Babel. There are so many things, if we understand Scripture, if we know Scripture, that we will be able to answer questions that come our way because we know what Scripture says about it. And we believe that what God says in His Word is true. I find many believers, professing believers, they will 
let's say they are busy with the argument or they're busy with the conversation and they would be using human reasoning. They don't use scripture. When in fact we are supposed to be using scripture. When Jesus returns, will people still believe that this Bible is the infallible word of God? That it's God's revelation to mankind and it's without error? Is that what Jesus will find when he returns to this earth? Or will he find people that says, no, man, the Bible, yeah, it's got some things, that's interesting, it's cool. But I think it's just people's opinions about God and people's opinions about Jesus Christ. And ah, some of the history is not even right. The science in here is not even right. Is that what Jesus is going to find when he returns to this earth? Or is he going to find people who believe that what God revealed is true? Even if it seems to be foolishness to the world. second reason why professing believers do not have a biblical worldview on all aspects of life could be because they reject what the Bible teaches on certain issues. A very interesting study they did in America, and in that study, it's by the Barna Group, they found that only about 4% of Americans believes what the Bible says. Four percent of Americans believe what the Bible says. And, and by the way, when they did the survey on professing believers, the percentage wasn't much higher. Christians who do not believe what the Bible says? I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. It just doesn't make sense. How can you sit in church Sunday after Sunday Sunday? profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ and not believe the Bible which is the foundation of our faith if someone professes to be a believer but they do not truly believe the Bible there is no way that such a person can have a biblical worldview they will have a mixed masala a mixture of all kinds of Worldviews, which is not what the Bible teaches. We live in a world where people feel what is right now because truth is subjective. And it's amazing when I listen to people, especially when they debate and they say, I feel that this is what that text says. Um, who cares what you feel? question is what does the text say because that is truth that we have to find and if I don't know what the text says I can rather say listen I don't know let me go and study it and let me see and I'm going to do my utmost best to get to the truth of what the text is saying because I want to know what God says I don't want to share with people what I feel is right or what I think is right we need to share the truth. And God's word is the truth, Jesus said. Now. The third possible reason why professing believers no longer have a biblical worldview 
with regards to all aspects of life could be because they are more concerned about what the world might think of them than what God thinks. There's a beautiful proverb in Proverbs 29, Proverbs 29, verse 25. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare. When people are afraid, especially believers, if they are afraid of people, they will step into the snare that has been set up for them. They will be caught in that snare. But those who trust in the Lord, they will be safe because they stand on His truth. They live in accordance to His truth. See, beloved, believers must understand that we are not of this world. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love it or love its own. Yet the world would, um, uh, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said in John 17 verse 14 in his high priestly prayer, he says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Beloved, we are not of this world. And when believers start compromising with the views of the world or the world's way of thinking, those believers will lose their focus of God's perspective of life very easily. We are called to make sure that whatever we say, whatever we think, whatever we do, whatever we reason, is we do it from a biblical perspective. Scripture needs to be our foundation from where we do everything that we do. When believers start compromising with the views of the world, or the world's way of thinking, such a believer loses their focus on God's perspective. I believe that believers should not fear the world. We should be courageous and say what God's word clearly says. And let me tell you, in these debates that I've been listening to, I hear the compromise the whole time, how people compromise the word of God because they're not or they're too afraid to say what God's word says because they will be mocked. The moment you say to people, listen, I believe that the earth was created in six days, 24-hour days, and that God rested on the seventh day, also a 24-hour day. I believe it with all of my heart. If you say that to people who believe in evolution, people who believe in the Big Bang, they might not laugh at you in your face, but they will laugh at you in their heart. Sometimes they will even laugh at you in your face. The fourth possible reason why professing believers no longer hold to a biblical worldview with regards to all aspects of their lives could be that uh, because they have become lukewarm in their commitment to Christ. Remember Revelation chapter 3? especially from verse 15, 
where Jesus said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Jesus was speaking to the Laodicean church. He was speaking to people that were supposed to be believers. Yes, they were professing believers. They professed that they believed in Jesus Christ. But in their conduct, in what they believed and what they showed, they were lukewarm. Now, for those who do not know, let me just give you a quick background. There were two cities. And their water came together in Laodicea, in the aqueduct in Laodicea. In the one city, the water was nice and cold because it came out of the mountain. It was like a mountain stream that came out of the mountain. And it was refreshing. If you walked through the desert and you were all dried up in your mouth and you needed to to, to quench the thirst, that's where you would go and drink the cool, lovely water that comes from that spring. In the other city, there were hot springs with all kinds of minerals in it. And if your feet are hurting and your muscles are hurting because you walked far or if you had some other illness with regards to your muscles or things like that, you would go and you would just sit in one of those pools of hot water. And those minerals would help to ease the pain. But when you walk to Laodicea, and the aqueduct was underneath the road, and what would happen at times is people that didn't know this, they would take a bucket because they see there's water down there, and it looks clean, and it looks clear, and they would grab the bucket and they would throw it in and pull it up, and then they would take one nice sip of water because they're thirsty. And guess what? The water that they would drink would be a mixture between this cold, refreshing water and this hot water. And Jesus said, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And that's what that water does to people that drink it. They get all nauseous. They look like water, or the water looks like water. The water is even clear, but you cannot drink it because it makes you sick. It makes you want to vomit it out. And I believe that people don't believe Scripture anymore because they've become lukewarm. They don't have any healing properties in the sense of bringing the gospel to people so that people can be healed. They're not refreshing to people in bringing the truth of God's word and giving them answers to the questions that people might have. And it's because they look warm. They don't know God's word. They don't know the scriptures. So they can't help people. You see, someone who has a, or doesn't have a strong biblical worldview is like one of the lukewarm professing believers in Laodicea. Professing believers who do not have a strong biblical worldview, a strong view on God's word, the scriptures, because they're lukewarm, they need to be committed to Christ. They need to repent. And I believe there are many today who have become lukewarm. And that's so unfortunate. 
Now, the fifth possible reason why professing believers no longer hold to a biblical worldview with regards to all aspects of their lives could be because they have been influenced by the lies of the world. You see, the devil is a master at deception, and I, and I hope you know that. He is brilliant when it comes to deception. He knows exactly what he does. He deceived Eve to sin, and uh, she dragged Adam into it. The devil still deceives people into believing his lies even today. We read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the following, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He's the deceiver of the whole world. Why would Christians want to learn from a deceived world? doesn't make sense. They're supposed to learn from the truth, which is God's word. You see, the devil loves to tell people that the, the Bible is a book full of myths. He also tells them that the Bible is full of errors, that you cannot trust the Bible. He uses influential people, pastors, seminary professors. Uh, he uses teachers, different people he uses to speak non-truth or untruth or deception and people unfortunately take it because we've grown so accustomed so used to the fact that we we learn from the world and then we question the bible instead of learning from the bible and questioning the world because in a sense the, the church has become extremely worldly even though scripture tells us don't separate yourself from the world. The sixth and the last reason why professing believers no longer hold to a biblical worldview with regards to every aspect of their lives could be because they are slowly moved away by their circumstances. You know, there's, there's things that happens in our lives. We ask questions about these things. And slowly but surely, we lose hope. Let's say somebody that's got chronic illness, chronic pain, go to the Lord, Lord, please heal me. Other people come along and they pray, Lord, please heal this person. And their circumstances become such that after a while, they become despondent. They become impatient. Not waiting on the Lord any longer, but now starts doubting what God has said in His Word. Not having an eternal perspective on life, but having a short-term perspective on life. And that's what happens, slowly but surely. They are drawn away by their circumstances from a strong biblical worldview and a strong faith in what God says is true. Beloved, it can happen to all of us. It's easy. Let me give you an interesting illustration 
of uh, how you can lose, uh, how can I say, faith in, in Christ quickly. This happened in a, in a very short period of time. Uh, we find it in, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you the story and tell you what happened. In verse 24, we read that the boat that the disciples was in, um, they were in the middle of the sea. The waves basically tossed this boat about. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was walking on the sea. By the way, that's a miracle. The world will say that's a myth. That's nonsense. People don't walk on water, especially not on the sea. And if there's a storm on the sea, even less so. So Jesus walks on the sea. The disciples see him. And verse 26 tells us that they thought it was a ghost. Very typical human expression. That's a ghost. Not, oh, you see, there's Jesus, the God-man. And we read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, and Peter, you know, the one with the big mouth and the one that always tried things, says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You see, Peter had a lot of faith in Jesus. He trusted Jesus. I mean, wow. Peter was just one of those people that just, Lord, just tell me to do something. I'll do it. It's going to happen. He was a man of faith. And I believe this is the greatest expression of somebody that really has faith is Peter saying, Lord, if this is you, if you're a ghost, then don't tell me to get out because if I get out, I'm going to be in trouble. But Lord Jesus, if it's you, tell me to get out and to come to you. I'll be able to do it. So we read that Jesus told Peter to come to him. Peter got out the boat and he walked on the water to meet Jesus. Here's a normal human being walking on water. Amazing. Remember, Peter had faith in Christ in the sense that if Christ would say to him, walk, he would walk. And he would be able to walk on the water because it was Jesus who spoke to him. Then we read in verse 30. But when he saw that the, the wind was um, boisterous and uh, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. So what did Peter do? took his eyes of Christ and he put his eyes on the wind on the storm around him it's like us or somebody that's a professing believer who takes their eyes off the scriptures and the truth of God's word and start looking at everything that's happening around them in the world start looking at their own circumstances start looking at their own ability to do things no longer focused on God no longer focused on what Christ can do but focused on the circumstances around them. And what happened to, to Peter? He started sinking. And he cried out, Lord, save me. 
We can say in a certain sense, the moment that Peter's um, worldview changed, he started to sink. You see, beloved, his worldview was that Jesus could do anything. Jesus could do miracles. Jesus could walk on water. Jesus was uh, capable of doing the impossible. Jesus could instruct Peter to walk on the water and it would happen. That was Peter's worldview. That was Peter's outlook on life. That's how Peter viewed Christ. What a faith. But the moment Peter's eyes moved off Christ, and he looked at his circumstances and looked at the wind and looked at the waves, he started sinking. And praise God that Jesus took Peter and saved him and the moment they got into the boat the storm wind ceased you see the disciples had to learn something about Jesus and that is that Jesus is truly God Peter had to learn something about Jesus and that is never to take your eyes off him to trust him in all things You see, it was Peter's worldview which caused him to trust in Christ at the first place, to step out of the boat into a stormy sea and walk on the water. It was Peter's worldview which caused him to actually walk on the water towards Christ. It was the change in, people, in Peter's worldview, you can say, when he started focusing on the things around him that caused him to sink. Beloved, remember I started off this message this morning with the words of Jesus when he asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find the kind of faith that Peter had when he got out of the boat, not the one when he started sinking? What kind of faith will Jesus find when he comes back to this earth? When Jesus Christ returns to this earth at his second coming, will he find a solid biblical faith in him and his ability and in his word will people have a solid biblical worldview through which they look at the world and everything around them will he find true faith in Christ where his people cry out in prayer to him and trust him that he will answer their prayer Will Jesus find faith in his ability to avenge the persecution of the church? What will Jesus find when he comes back to this earth? I pray that Christ, when he comes to this earth, especially with regards to us, because we're listening into it right now, that he will find a solid faith in him, in each one of us. Our eyes focused on him the beginning and the end of our faith may that be the case when Jesus returns that he will find that kind of faith in each one of us let's pray Heavenly Father thank you that we can come to you in Jesus name and thank you Father that we can know that if we persevere in, in our prayer, 
if we turn to you and look upon you and trust your word, trust that your word is up, obsolete truth, objective truth, perfect truth. Father, that we will always be able to walk by faith and not by sight. And when you return to this earth, Father, I pray that each one of us will have the kind of faith that you are looking for when you return. Make it possible, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.